There's a lot of things that we don't talk about that a lot of people have had the same experience. And by talking about it, it gets rid of it. And that goes to our, our portfolio companies. Yeah. If you create an environment where the management team can talk to you, the CEO feels comfortable telling you this is not working or I'm struggling with this. You want that to happen before it becomes an issue. And, you know, you don't even have to solve it. It's just being able to say this is what's going on. That helps you have better investment results because stuff doesn't get hidden until you can't solve it or, or it costs you a lot of money. Oil and gas today is more than exploration and production. It is more than the feet drilled or the hours of continuous pumping. The oil field is a group of people, companies, technologies, and institutions working towards providing the world with safe, affordable energy that is sustainable for the billions of people that depend on the success of the industry. The Oil Field 360 podcast is a 360-degree deep dive into the leaders of the industry who will provide listeners with a first-hand account of what it takes to build, maintain, and lead the energy business into the future. The Oil Field 360 podcast is brought to you by the following sponsors. Simmons Energy, a division of Piper Sandler, one of the largest and most experienced energy investment banking firms in the industry, offering M&A advisory, capital markets execution, and investment research. For more information, please visit SimmonsPSC.com. Lockton Global Energy and Marine, uncommonly different. Lockton is the world's largest privately owned insurance broker and risk finance advisor. Lockton's global energy expertise is centered in Houston and represents the largest concentration of energy specialists, clients, and experiential knowledge in the upstream, midstream, and downstream segments of the oil and gas industry. Visit Lockton.com for more information. Tomahawk Safety a leading manufacturer of safety gloves ergonomically designed for superior fit, offering best-in-class protection and helping you combat the industry's toughest jobs. Tomahawk is also supporting our frontline healthcare workers by offering isolation gowns, gloves, masks, and other critical medical PPE. For more information, please visit TomahawkSafety.com. Range Valuation Services Range is the only oil and gas-focused valuation and appraisal firm in the financial services industry. Range specializes in appraising and valuing oil field equipment, machinery, inventory, and property, and customarily works directly with clients, lenders, investment bankers, insurers, and private equity and debt sponsors. For more information, please visit rangevaluationservices.com. Welcome to the Oilfield 360 podcast. My name is Josh Lowry. I am your host today in the Fletcher Azul Tequila podcast studio. Uh, I am joined, as usual, with the co-host extraordinaire, Mr. David DeRote. How are you, David? Doing all right, my partner. How are you doing? I am doing well. We'll we'll get into that in just a minute. I'm doing uh, I'm doing well. So you don't look like you're doing well. Tell everybody what you did last night. Well, I didn't sleep. Oh, okay. I didn't sleep, David. Uh, but I am. How many espressos did you have yesterday? I've had three today. Oh, okay, but I'm going to make it. That is a. Uh, first of all, I look great. Let's just start with that. It's, yeah. I just I'm tired. I look great, but I'm tired. It's Friday. So it is Friday. Work. Yes, it's a it's an afternoon podcast we're doing today. So, but you look great as usual. 
Well, thank you. You ready for today? I think so. I'm very excited about today. I am too. I mean, we're ignoring these two guests across from us right now. But well, we do that. Though. I like it. Yeah. It just, it's, we got a, the wall of uh, yeah. just you and I first. Yeah. It's like the limo wall. Yeah. So it is just like the limo wall. <laughs> Unfortunately, they'll they'll roll it up on us. Exactly, we're the driver. (laughs) (laughs) Well, why don't you tell us who we got here? We got some big guests today. Well, we've got my good friend uh, and a special VIP guest host today, Greg Davis, who is a partner at EIV Capital. With our main guest today, who's also a very good friend and uh, have the pleasure of working with and have known for for a number of years, Mrs. Patty Melcher who is the managing partner and founder of EIV Capital, among a number of other notable mentions. Well, welcome, Greg and Patty. How are you guys? Thank you. Doing great, great to be here. Yeah, thank you for having us. So you two are part of the reason that I didn't sleep last night. So thank you very much. I, David has, has gotten me very excited about Patty, you coming on for a long time. <laughs> Patty, well, maybe Patty's... we get your sleep during the broadcast. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know. She's very domineering, so I can see how it kept you up all night. Well, just there's you know. there's a high expectation. Is if you've listened to the podcast before, we have our guests are are excellent, and you guys are no different, Patty. This is uh, we do appreciate. I know you're you're a hard person to get a hold of. You're very busy, and we do appreciate your time today. And Greg, you're going to come co-host with us. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Have I'm you ever up. now? We're in Greg. I'm I'm going to get to you in just a second, Patty. Have you ever been on a podcast before? I have not. Oh, we like so, that's our favorite. Yeah, answers. but I've enjoyed listening to yours, and so I'm. Delighted to be asked. Oh, you've listened to ours. Okay. So what, uh, can we ask you how great we are? I mean, you're fabulous. That's the exact answer we're looking for. So I think we're at least getting our money back on this deal. (laughs) Well, that's, you know, great point. I'm hanging out with a bottle of tequila. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Fletch Hezul, Aaron Marquez. Thank you. Uh, so you guys, EIV is a sponsor of the program since the beginning and we don't take that lightly. This is, uh, you guys were one of the sponsors that came in early before we really knew what we had. And that is a, yeah, Greg, thank you very much for the support on that. It's, the show has absolutely exploded, David. I mean, I'm, you, you, we see the numbers behind the scenes. It's shocking. Not due to anything we've done. It's really clearly our guests <laughs> that have given us a lift. It's unbelievable. Yeah. yeah, but it's important, though. You guys are giving a voice to the industry, and it's. I think, if nothing else, you're you're illuminating the the character of the people who have built this world uh, as we know it. And I think there's a lot of fine people and a lot of great stories out there. So it's good to have a champion to, to manage our PR a little bit better than we have historically. So uh, it was a... a Definitely a, a cause worth supporting and appreciate what y'all do. Well, Thank believe it or not, the downturn, the COVID downturn was was a pro for the podcast. It was something where nobody could leave, you know, their house. There were road trips. You had to take a road trip. You weren't flying somewhere, right? So there was a lot of people just driving to Florida or Colorado or wherever they were going on road trips. They were listening to a lot of podcasts and it gained a lot of traction, we noticed. So, you know, that's if there's a pro of the last, the apocalypse that we're currently going through right now, that might be one of them. So. Yeah. So anyway, we'll get we'll get into this. So I wanted to know what is what does EIV stand for? Is there a name? Energy behind it? Investment Vehicle. Okay. So when you're trying to figure out a name, a lot of them have already been taken. So you just start seeing what's available. So nothing nothing fancy. I I love it. I mean, the energy is that's a that's a pretty active word today, right? I mean, you but you started this as an '09, so energy in '09. Oil and gas was still, you know, shale was a big word back then, right? Fracking was a big word. Why energy in 09 versus well, some I've of these s- other words? I've spent my career in energy. I love energy. I mean, it's what has brought people out of poverty. You, you track GDP and uh, energy is what makes that happen. 
uh, we consider ourselves to be energy investors. Our primary focus is on midstream, midstream infrastructure, uh, and but we invest across the value chain, including renewables from 2009. Um, I invested in wind as early as the 90s. So I see us as energy investors. What is important is energy has lots of cycles and lots of downturns. And this downturn has been the worst I've ever seen in terms of how hard it is, how quickly. Um, and so if you have experience and have been in the industry through multiple cycles, you find that you can still find successful investments and invest across these cycles, uh, but you have to be very careful. You can't use too much debt. You can't pay too much. And then we particularly look at how do we protect ourselves from commodity prices. And so the midstream can allow you to do that because of the contract coverage. And so that is uh, very important about how we look at investments and how we think about it. But you know, there's always something going on. There's nothing dull about the energy industry. Let me, I, I jumped ahead on it real quick. I'm sorry, David. Uh, oh, I took it to 09, but there is, there's quite a bit before 09. Mm -hmm. Can you, can you take us back just a minute sure. and get us to that point? Yeah, that's where I was. That's yeah, sorry. I, was I didn't mean take to it. No, 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 it's yeah. good. But I think, I think if you could uh, share with the, our audience kind of how you got started and, and how you got to 09 and, and where we are today, I think would be helpful. And I'd, I, I certainly would like you to talk about okay. that. So. Well, I, as I've said before, I never recommend my career path to anyone, uh, which will become obvious why. I grew up in Virginia. I went to University of Virginia, had a systems engineering degree, figured out I was really interested in the business side, uh, got a deferred admit to Harvard Business School, and had two years to go work. And so I, it's good to recall this story sometimes because you forget how you make decisions as a 22-year-old. So I was going north. I hate cold weather, so I came as far south as I could get a job. I got introduced to um, the, the predecessor to Accenture uh, and as being a good bridge of doing consulting and came down here, worked for two years, told them I was going off to HBS. They were fine with it. And so my clients were in the energy industry. So that was my first um, exposure. And 82 was basically the peak. And then I went back to school. And because of being in Houston and meeting friends, when Matt and Ellie Simmons came up to HBS to recruit, they said, you've got to meet these guys. And I was in, interested in investment banking. I did a, a stint, a summer internship on Wall Street. And I said, you know, I, I'm not a New York girl. And uh, I had the opportunity to come work for Simmons and Company in 1986. And we had an independent project, uh, which was what should an independent E&P producer do? My second year of business school. Prices were 25 when we started in the fall. They were 12 when we started writing the paper three months later. Um, I would note that Jeff Sandifer led that, but there were three of us, and he then implemented that study for a, a very successful business plan in uh, drilling shallow offshore bright spots uh, in kind of the late 80s. And so I ended up in Houston with Simmons & Company, which at that time just focused on M&A and financing in the oilfield service industry. And you can imagine prices have gotten to nine. So a lot of distress, a lot of companies, good companies that just had no money, had, you know, had no income. Uh, and so there was just a lot of restructuring work, a lot of consolidation. We called them cashless combinations back then. Take two or three companies, put them together, take out the excess overhead, 
And instead of having three bankrupt companies, you had one that that survived, the combined entity. And then I was very fortunate when L.E. Simmons started SCF Partners in 1989. The day it was formed, I rolled from the investment bank to work with him at SCF. So it was L.E. and I and his secretary, and we invested the first $50 million, uh, over 18 months. It did well, so went out and raised the second fund and started growing the team. And so best job ever. Just really enjoyed that. And um, Ellie is just a. I just want to, I don't mean to, to date you with the exact age, but it is interesting to hear, you know, $9 a barrel, right? Mm -hmm. And risk tolerance with $9 a barrel, because we're in a, we're in a cycle here. People, we're losing a lot of good people because they're afraid of where the price per barrel is and what does this next five or 10 years look like? So you were in your twenties, I'm assuming in mm -hmm. at that time, what did, what is the mindset when you're seeing $9 oil look like for a career that you're coming out of Harvard, you can oh. pretty much choose where you want to go at that point. I thought it was a great time to enter the industry because it couldn't really get any worse. And you, you learn the most when things are really difficult. I mean, and when you see management teams making very hard decisions and you learn what's important and it's also the people you choose to work with. But I found it challenging. It didn't scare me then. I also didn't own a house. I didn't have a family, you know, so it was, <laughs> timing was good there. But um, this is a very cyclical industry. It always has been. It always will be. I can't talk for 20 years from now, if, um, but it's driven by commodity prices. You're typically an oversupply or undersupply. You always overbuild, and then you always have to consolidate and, and, and wait till you grow through it. And we're seeing, it's funny when you talk about history, I mean, we're seeing that right now, the cashless combinations. I mean, I can't tell you how many of those I'm involved in currently. Some of them make sense. Some of them you're still scratching your head. But uh, it, it's funny how history does repeat itself and why it's important to pay attention to history. So, yeah, Well, and what's old is new again, no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> and, and if you know anybody who's been around any period of time, they'll say, look, this is not a new normal, y'all. This is just normal. We have to have companies that are actually profitable, uh, sustainable, can generate cash flow. Uh, and we may have to hold things longer than we, we expected to because the, the prior 10 to 15 years were an anomaly, right? So we're returning back to, to Patty's point, our industry will never find equilibrium. We, it's a sine wave. So uh, we try to structure things in a way that you don't blow up. You don't have to go take a machete to all your teams and, and, and let a lot of people go. So we were able to weather this one fairly well. And I think much like you know, uh, Patty's starting a private equity at $9 per barrel oil. I would say that that's very similar to where we see the world today. It's, yeah. it's full of opportunities if you're willing to hunker down and, and be patient. Yeah. So first fund invested, second fund SCF. And then so SCF continued to grow. So in the meantime, I got married, had two kids and turned out and I'd always planned to work straight through. Right. At that time, you know, you can have it all as a woman. Um, but reality got in the way. My eldest has special needs and she wasn't thriving. So basically at two and a half, almost three, we got her tested, found out she had significant developmental delays. Most, uh, the speech and language was the, the, the most impacted. And so looking at it, it was, we needed to do something and we needed to attack it and we needed, you know, to do something immediately. And, you know, to do private equity, it's a, a lot of hours and you have to be available. And so trying 
Ellie was great. I'd already was, I said, I was working part-time. It was only 40 or 50 hours a week. And, and I could leave during the day and go take Katie to, to therapy and et cetera. 40 or 50 was part-time? part-time. Yes, that was part-time. <laughs> I, want, I want to make sure our audience, these young people that are trying to make it in the world, hear that. So yeah. it's true. Yeah. Okay. And <laughs> um, don't realize how hard it is to make it. And that's what yeah. it takes. No, it, it, it just. So as a family, we decided I was going to, uh, I called it retire uh, in quotation marks and really focus on getting Katie settled get her on the right path, and then come, you know, I really wanted to come back into private equity. Turned out to take a lot longer than I expected, but basically we got her into new school. It showed that she could learn, but it wasn't just speech and language. It was more, it was more developmental. And there wasn't a school that I could, that she could get into that met her needs. Um, and this was taking a couple of years. So in the meantime, I, I did a consulting uh, gig with uh, Jeff Sandifer. He was raised a new fund and asked me to help with the strategy and asked me to, you know, work on the investments. I said, well, I can't do that. So I just did this strategy. And then about that time realized uh, we, we couldn't find the school Katie needed. And so we decided to um, hire a teacher to teach Katie and basically homeschooler. So this was 1997, March. It was just when I had also launched my own kind of consulting company to, and and entity to do some small investments and sat down with um, Dr. Rosner from University of Houston, who'd done some of the early research on children with learning disabilities, uh, and then the dean of the optometry school, Dean uh, Strickland, and then Shara Bumgarner, who's the uh, now was a founding teacher and now head of school. And they said, look, Katie would do better with other kids, um, and there are lots of kids who have these issues. This is not just Katie. So I said, um, okay. Find some other kids. We'll get a classroom, and if it works, we'll make a school. So we had four kids the first year, 1997, and you could tell in two weeks things were better. And a couple of months, you're like, oh yeah, this is working for all these kids. So the next year, we had three classrooms and 18 kids, and then 30, and then 40 something, and then wow. 60. So I did wrote a two page business plan and said over five years, I would be able to we'd be big enough to be able to afford a business manager. So I did all the business side. So basically. Jar and Jerry took care of all of the, anything educational. And then I was responsible for being sure we had a place, we had resources, we had everything they needed. Um, and so it was, it was extremely rewarding. It was, and then I was running my consulting and investing on the side to help pay for the school. Um, so it was a pretty busy time, but you could see the difference it made. And I didn't think I'd ever know anybody who had a kid at Joy School because mm -hmm. You know, it, it was tough. I mean, you, you just didn't know it's your first child and you didn't realize that it wasn't normal for a child not to sleep through the night at seven, and eight, nine years old. So, but within a couple of years, people are going, oh, the Joy School, I've heard of that. That's a great school. I'm thinking, there's no way. You know, you've got 30 kids. How would you have ever heard of it? Well, walking in here, I just meet um, um, a woman who has a child who just started Joy School, you know, just 15 minutes ago. And she's been on this podcast before. And and, she uh, and yeah, and so it turns out that there are lots of kids that have these issues. And it's not a big deal. It's like you identify the problem and you fix it. And when I started, no one ever talked about their kids and their problems. It was all about, you know, the perfect kid. The perfect kid. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I made a conscious choice. I always talk about the imperfect kids. And I 
really enjoyed seeing over time that it is okay to have a child with learning differences, learning disabilities, okay? You just accept it, you figure it out, you get it addressed, and you move forward. Basically, you know, if a child doesn't read on grade level by, I'm going to get the stats wrong, uh, by third grade, 85% chance they never will. And so you, you know, the kids that we take in might end up in special ed the rest of their life. Now, the school also, a, a very important learning for um, uh, investing in private equity later or whatever is that um, management is who decides where the, the business goes. So my vision was for the kids more like Katie. Shar's vision were the kids who could come in two or three years behind uh, grade level, but get back up to grade level and go back to mainstream class. So you can guess where we ended up. So I'm not sure Katie could get in today, but the uh, we've had kids go on and go back to school, go from not, you know, having stomach aches every morning and not being able to, just nervous, just, nervous, just hating school to, you know, finishing master's programs. So um, that's Sorry, I, that's no, no, that's what I, I, I think. That's <laughs> I don't think that's one of the coolest the things for me to not yeah. get any sleep. That yeah. makes me I almost that is an emotional story right there. Well, and we should draw forth some of the uh, the things that I think probably came out of that experience for Patty because as I was as I was meeting Patty for the first time and thinking about moving from Kane yeah. to EIV, we had dinner at you know for the first time a meeting and you know David Finan, one of our partners, has, has told me she's a wonderful person. And I, I sit down and I realized probably an hour and a half into the dinner we haven't talked about my ability to do to do the job at all yet. So we'd spent all that time talking about the Joy School because um, I know it's true for myself and I think it's probably true for everybody in this room is that I wouldn't be here today if somebody hadn't gone out of their way to take an active interest in my outcome. And so. Uh, you know, feeling that obligation to pay that back is a big part of what motivates me, certainly to, to help people who are kind of born into a struggle. And so, I, you know, and there's a um, for the, the podcast community, I'll say the, the get stuff done factor. Right. So as I was hearing Patty kind of unfold this story about the joy school, it was apparent to me that, you know, she was somebody who had an incredible capacity to do anything. Mm -hmm. Right. And so she not only made the decision to leave SCF where she was ground floor, number two in the door, you know, could have been minted many times over by now. Uh, that's a big decision upon itself. Uh, but then taking it beyond just addressing Katie's needs and really providing something for the Houston community that is lasting. Um, and if you have a child with any of these sort of developmental challenges, it's the first place you look. So I knew immediately that, you know, just within that span of that conversation that Patty was somebody who was of the highest character and, and somebody I would get along with really well. And and I think who knew how to build things with the foundation that would last. We'll we'll put this in the in the droplet below, but just for for right now, what is the website for people to oh, find more information? Um thejoyschool.org, I think. Thejoyschool.org. <laughs> That's right. The joy school dot org. Okay. She's not a marketer. <laughs> That's okay. We'll take care of it. Yeah. If it's but, uh, wrong, we'll have a we'll edit that. Well, when I put the joy, it just pops up. Yeah. So uh No, that's 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 correct. I, yeah. I think I really appreciate you sharing that story. because uh, I think it's it's an amazing thing that you did and continue to support. But it also I think to Greg's point, lays the foundation for what came next. So we established joy school. Self-sustaining, get it yep. on good good footing. Mm -hmm. So tell us about where we went next. So so next, so then I had the good fortune to be introduced to Tony Annunziato in the early 2000s. And uh, Tony started the first energy commodity hedge fund in the late 90s. Brilliant man, incredible um, mind, incredible trader, incredible track record. 
And he had started taking wealth he personally created and backing management teams on the physical side. So when I got introduced to him, he had invested in a, a number of management teams in their businesses. These They traded natural gas. They traded uh, refined products. Uh, they uh, had uh, started and were running some of the early um, retail electric books of companies and, and retail natural gas. And um, there were some other things in there, too, but very entrepreneurial and, you know, Encountering some of the challenges of growth, you know, needed to be a, you know, professionalized at back office, um, et cetera. And so um, I came in and ended up running this uh, uh, umbrella company that had housed all of these investments and um, helped to professionalize back office. So I was basically the, the CEO for about a year and a half. And um, part of it was well, I first met one of my partners, Jenny Gottschalk, who had left Accenture to come work with her father, who had started some of these businesses. And she'd come to help run these natural gas uh, and, and retail electric books. And natural gas prices were just starting to really spike. And the capital needs to hedge that out was just incredible. So it's like, ah, it's time to sell these. So we worked together to, to, to uh, market those and, and uh, exit those businesses, but got to know Tony really well. and. Um, and then was ready to go on and do something else. So then I did my midlife crisis company, which is, um, <laughs> yeah. So um, my best friend, Jackie Gartland, she um, had been trying to get me to start a company with her to market um, natural foods, a take a gazpacho, Spanish style puree, make an on the go natural food. So kind of had a lull there. I was not, I worked my way out of a job at the Joy School. You know, I was ready to just, play a little bit. And then I'd also, um, I was still involved in energy. I was on the a board of an offshore um, uh, boat company. And so I kept my hand in, but we started at part-time and called it Go Appetite. And so, and then it just kept growing. And so at its peak, we were in six or 700 stores, East Coast, West Coast, and Canada. We'd just gotten national distribution. And this we is were- health food? Health food, yes. This natural why, foods This is industry. why we have no idea what you're well, talking no, about. Like who doesn't like a gazpacho? I mean, I if mean, you're, you're talking health food, I am out. But this sounds interesting. Keep yeah. going. Well, it's actually, good. it was interesting because the people who really liked it were those who were really into health. You know, like if you like salads or, you know, uh, anyway. So I like I like a little crab meat on top of my. Oh, that's, that's I was going to say, when I, when I picture David Road, I picture a vision of health. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> a little chilled yeah. crab meat but, on top but, of the gazpacho. But anyway, I mean, the whole thing of figuring out a supply chain and vendors and contracts and roll out all that. Great entrepreneurial, whatever. Uh, and then. We were trying to go raise a couple million and just were talking to someone about to sign a contract. And that was the weekend that Lehman Brothers fell. And so we were at a trade show. You heard all of the startup money just sucked out of that <laughs> conference uh, room. And so it was like, hmm. And then oil prices had gone from 150 and, you know, 30 bucks or something. And I'm chatting with Tony, and we'd been talking about this idea. It's like it's not the. It's like, hey, this is a good time. <laughs> and so that was going into 2009. Tony wanted to continue investing in energy companies, but more with the team, with the structure. And so that was the genesis. He put up the majority of the first 50 million. And other friends and family, people that knew Tony, and Tony said, "Here, Patty, I trust you. You know, go invest it." And so we had a, um, we got it invested. Uh, Jenny was involved. She wasn't, you know, we, we subleased from her 
uh, on the investment committee, not an officially an employee, ran one of the projects, and then uh, first fund um, was a top decile uh, performer, and we used that track record to go raise our first institutional fund in 2014. Brought Jenny on officially, brought David Fine in, got introduced to him, and was able, able and lucky enough to to to, to bring him in and uh, raised about um, about 270 million, and then we raised fund three. Uh, it's 450 million. Uh, we uh, activated that in 2017, and then we um, and uh, we raised. We started raising our fourth fund this time last year, and on the same track as fund three, basically raised it in four months to get to our our target for four. You know, we were lucky enough in this environment to get fund four. Not Absolutely. quite to the hard cap, but but <clears throat> over target in four months. So yeah, and we're we're a bit unique in that of the four partners at EIV, there's there's two females, an Irish immigrant. Fine is not actually a U.S. citizen, just for the record. That's right. Uh, and then me. So uh, it was it was fun for me to come from a world that was uh, very you know homogenous when you looked at our group and our our makeup and background to uh, a much more diverse, not just in terms of our makeup as people, but our backgrounds and experience as well. Right. So. Uh, I think that speaks as well to Patty's, you know, the architecture she wanted to put in place when she was designing this group and how she wanted to build it out going forward. I did remind her when I was interviewing that I'm not a, a midstream guy, so I hope you're talking to somebody who actually does does midstream. So uh, she actually had the other side of the uh, – she viewed it as the other side of the coin is where she's like, no, actually, I want the upstream uh, background in the room when we're making decisions, and I, I had never looked at it from that perspective. And so for me – uh, coming in as a lifetime upstream investor, uh, it was it was very helpful to understand how she saw that and where my swim lane would be. Uh, and I think it's it's been a good combination of uh, talents and strengths. And, and nobody's asked to be the best at everything or to know yeah. everything. You're supposed to be good at what you're good at. I, that's the best way to manage, in yeah. my opinion, where, you know, I'll strengthen your weaknesses and vice versa. Yeah. You know, and I, I don't mean to come back to something too personal here. And if I if I reach something, we've got an edit button. So I. You you're very unassuming in a in just a one on one perspective here, and I and I mean that in a hopefully that comes across very respectful, because the things you're talking about are very grand and mass and and there's I mean they really are the the building of the school the 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 funds you're talking about, and when I we talked off air about the stresses that I was dealing with kind of this week, <laughs> well I mean and you you said that it and I'm I'm wondering how you've dealt with the twenty year or really 30 year career, how do you deal with those kind of stresses? Because you seem very calm <laughs> I'm, and I'm, you know, a ball of not calm. And I just want, I'm trying to figure out how you well, look so calm throughout all this process. I, there's, yeah, I, I've, I've learned to deal with stress and anxiety and, and actually my, where I've really grown the most are those nights that I can't sleep and you just don't know if you can make the right decision. And, you know, you just power through it and then you look back and you go, well, okay, that was painful, but I really grew and here's where I am now. And the other thing is, you know, I've got grand things. Everything is, it's all incremental steps when you're doing it, right? So, and you think, oh my God, it's taking forever to get this school built or figure this out or build the team. And then you look back and go, man, that happened fast. And so... It's just one foot forward. Now, I will credit my daughter, Katie, with helping me with the patience factor. But what's really been great is 
growing a team to work with. And then I don't have to take all the stress. I've got partners. I've got, you know, everybody at our company, you know, contributes. And, and you don't have to do everything. That's, um, you don't have to be a hero. You're, the team brings their collective wisdom and, or the collective questions. Mm-hmm. And that relate, that really relieves the stress. Rick, what does that look like inside of EIV then? Well, I can tell you it's it's key because uh, what it has fostered is an environment where you can speak openly. And, you know, we speak every day as partners, you know, for as long as we need to at four o'clock. It's a standing meeting. And I think where people and I've had this happen in my career, certainly where stress will just kind of consume you and it can be overwhelming. And, you know, sometimes you feel the burnout. Right. And so uh, you have to push through it. Um, And so having a team in place that supports you is really important. So. What that looks like for us is that you don't have to keep it all bottled up inside or feel like you've got to solve all the problems or, or be the, you know, the person. Uh, I think it's more uh, a just open, honest conversation. We all know our strengths and weaknesses, which, you know, is very critical. I was, I was a little concerned after I'd, I quit my job. I had accepted my offer to EIV. And the first thing is we do, we go to this uh, partner strategy offsite. In San Miguel, it's pretty nice. So we're hanging out for a few days and uh, <laughs> Patty decides to bring along a, an organizational consultant. And uh, these are words that I'd never really uttered in a meeting before or heard. I was like, oh, man, this is going to be like lingo bingo and <laughs> waste of my time. And the worst thing that they did is they put me through a personality test. I'm like, oh, good Lord. Uh, I'm going to be exposed. You know, it's like seeing yourself on camera for the first time. Like, man, just, no, I, don't, I don't need to see that. And uh, so I get this personality profile and I look at it. I'm like, oh, man, they're going to have some buyer remorse here if they read this. So. I immediately I called the consultant. I was like, hey, Phil, do they get to see this? Because I don't really like some of this outcome. <laughs> he said, look, Greg, calm down. Like, actually, I'll tell you that, that this works really well because what we're doing is, is not trying to single out your weaknesses. <laughs> we're trying to figure out where you fit into this equation. And, and for me as a new partner coming in after I'd kind of grown up at, at Kane for about 12 years, uh, that was huge. You know, I could map up personalities. I could see where, you know, we all had strengths and, and where we could support each other. So. You know, it's along those lines, Josh, it's, it's, you know, somebody who took the time to, you know, really focus on the, the chemistry within the group and, and really foster an environment where you can speak openly and speak freely. You know, we have decorum, obviously, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, what we do is challenging. And if you can't, if you can't speak openly about the, the challenges you face, you, you generally have poor outcomes. Uh, and I've certainly seen that. And I think that's something that Patty and, and, and us as a group of partners, we fiercely guard against that. Um, it's very much kind of a Navy SEAL mentality. You should be able to if you see something, say something, um, and and don't pretend like you have all the answers. Mm-hmm. I think one of the impressive things that I've observed inside of your group is one, just the solid talent you have, but the the talent that you continue to recruit, and also how you are trying to build them up. Unlike, I think a lot of your peers that just say, "Stay in your lane, stay there." That's been my observation, and I think I, I liken it to what. Uh, what you did with the joy school and building the foundation where it's self-sustaining and more or less and tell us a little bit about the where you are in the future of eiv a quick word from our sponsors and then we're right back to the show prang and associates the global energy search leader prang and associates is the world's leading executive search firm totally dedicated to the energy industry Over our 39 years, we have assisted more than 750 management teams and boards in 75 countries and conducted nearly 3,600 engagements. For more information, please visit prang.com. Daniel Energy Partners, in-basin research you can trust. 
a leading provider of U.S. oil field research, known for its original boots-on-the-ground research approach, as well as its famous barbecue events. Daniel Energy Partners utilizes both its extensive network of top oil field professionals and frequent in-basin field tours to provide real-time market intelligence. Visit DanielEP.com for more information. Galtway Marketing. Answer this question. What makes your company different? You have seven seconds to catch a customer's attention. Galtway Marketing can build your brand and craft your message for maximum impact across all your marketing efforts. Visit galtwaymarketing.com slash 0360 to bring your company into the 21st century. Thank you to our sponsors. And now back to the show. You know, my two-page business plan for the Joy School was how do you create an institution that survives you, right? And particularly one where, you know, Katie's going to grow up. This is not my business, right? Um, and it's got to be strong. It's got to survive. And how, how do you get it on a good footing? Then I very consciously got off the board so that create a vacuum because everyone would just, if, you know, Patty, what do you think? And I'd say what I think because I have a problem not if I'm asked. And once I said something, then, oh, well, that was the answer. Yeah. And so that's not good. And so by getting off the board and you look at it now and it is unbelievable, you know, that the talent, the dedication of parents and non-parents who have grown it into a real institution. So starting EIB, now this was me coming back into what I really wanted to do. So my career, I'm starting it late, maybe 49, I forget. Um, so most PE firms are started by 30-somethings who have spun out of another firm. So I'm bringing a different perspective, and I want to set it up to survive me or I have no intention of leaving. I really wanted to create a place that I can be into my 70s or 80s until they wheel me out or whatever. But that, that's your goal now? To, to... I, I love to be challenged intellectually, stimulated. I love structure. I'm not going to be doing exactly the same thing I am now in 15 years. But, you know, I want to have a place that I can go have fun and enjoy the people, keep my hand into stuff. But the institution creates the opportunities for the younger folks to continue to grow and, and, and to, you know, be a successful investing platform for a long time. So um, I think. I, I'm sorry to cut. I love that. I mean, because I, I feel like in the world of the, the finance world that you guys play in, I mean, it's, it is the three to five year turns, right? So that mentality is just three to five year business plans. And we, we kind of churn this stuff and you almost build the company in the same we build it up to where some larger institution would want to come buy us out yeah. and then we get the payday and everybody moves on. So it's, it's interesting to hear that, yeah. you no, know, this is something we want to be a part of for a long time. Yeah, I think if we do a good job in our investing and we deliver returns to our investors, I mean, those are our customers. That's who we're representing. And then we are good partners to our portfolio companies. Um, then energy will change over time you know, but we will change with it. And I think we'll continue to see good investing opportunities. So, you know, if well, we that's keep... A, that's a critical distinction you just made there that I think it's, it can be lost in the discussion where 
Patty did a great job as we were, as she was building the EIV brand of not pigeonholing us into midstream, upstream, downstream, whatever, you name it, right? <clears throat> and a lot of people, I think today, uh, given the challenges and the, and the dynamics in the industry, there's a lot of change coming, right? And a lot of people are trying to figure out how to adapt to that opportunity set. And I think two things are true. One, uh, she was able to earn enough trust among our investors who we're working for to give us that latitude to say, hey, we want to stay small, nimble. We want to go where the opportunity is because it may not always exist in the same place, right? So, you know, being at a, at a firm where you feel like you've got your one hammer, you're lost in the forest looking for your nail. I know a lot of people who feel like that today. Um, and I think for us, we have the ability to move up and down and, and across sectors, right? And to your point, David, you know, when we hire down to the associate level, what we really stress to them is that, look, we want to, we want to build a team who's going to take this over in the future. And what we're really trying to create our energy investors, not oil and gas people necessarily. So it's it's really fun to, especially for me, who is who is 100% upstream for forever, uh, to kind of get that exposure and to recognize that, look, as the world changes, as it's prone to do, um, we're going to be able to adapt to it um, and do it easier and quicker than probably most because I think speed is always at a premium. And I think well, that's something we do really well. I think recognition of some universal truths, which are one, you got to have a market, two, you got to have a good team, three, you got to have good governance, four, you got to have a good culture. If you got all that, then you got to have a customer for whatever it is. And uh, it doesn't really matter what industry sector it is, but broadly speaking, in the energy space, I think if you have that foundation, I've been, Josh doesn't have the exposure I do, but you've got some really, really sharp people that work for you and or work with you, well, thank you and sir. uh and so i think your ability to to invest you know up and down and and across the board is is uh does distinguish you from from some other groups that i work with with all due respect that are to greg's point you know somewhat pigeonholed and uh you know in a energy in general just is is a big mess right now uh no matter if it's conventional you know fossil fuel based or the alternative sector. Yeah, our LPs, uh, as we were raising fund for, um, you know, meeting with them for an hour or two or whatever, they would spend the whole time telling us how much they were they were jaundiced on energy and, and uh, kind of not very not viewing it in a very favorable light at the time. And then you know we would end the the meeting and they would say, "Well, uh, are you going to have room for us?" <laughs> it's, well, it's, you know, it's it's one of those things though. But that's to the, to the point that in a world like this where it, it is challenging. Uh, you know, Patty's done a great job of differentiating EIB, and I think that's going to serve us. I had a I had a really interesting phone call last Friday that, that poured over to uh, earlier this week, and then again with the same party later this evening. Very large private investor, and uh, uh, has the ability to invest a significant amount of capital directly or through funds and whatever else. And he was introduced to me for for access to knowledge of you know, opportunities, but based in the Northeast and very bullish about the, the energy business, particularly the oil and gas business. And it was like, this is, and, and I've had these conversations with exposures to LPs, particularly institutional LPs, where there's some that are still, even though it may not be popular with their group of friends, they're still somewhat bullish about the space. But I think regardless whether it's in or it's out, that the, the fundamental discipline is critically important. So I'm going to, I'm going to ask you a question, kind of going back again. Um, I view uh, Ellie is very disciplined and mm -hmm. I know early on he was very disciplined. Tell us about what it was like 
working with LE so many years ago and was just you and, 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 and him essentially. So, you know, Ellie is just great. I mean, he's brilliant. He is the most humble person you Very will ever meet. Incredibly generous and good hearted. And so, and he's given a lot of people a lot of opportunity. So, really appreciate that. You know, when Ellie first came up with this idea of investing in Orphan, I think a lot of people are like, huh, what? <laughs> you know, particularly coming off of, you know, 87, 88, 89, and um, private equity was still pretty early then. It was more the big LBOs, but Ellie had been in the industry for, for many, many years and so saw the opportunity. So, you know, I remember people saying, well, why would you ever leave a nice, you know, lucrative investment banking job for this risky, you know, private equity? And I like the idea of investing and having to live with your results, um, but it also being project in that it's not just one company. You've got exposure to, to multiple companies. So Ellie is high energy, um, and he can come up with 50 different structures for a deal in five minutes. And so just trying to keep up with them was always always a challenge. <laughs> but um, That's saying something from, from uh, Patty who said okay. uh, working part-time to her was 40 or 50 yeah. hours yeah. a week. Wow. Yeah. Working hours, maybe not smart or something, but <laughs> um, so no. And then you look at how successful Ellie has been over, um, and 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 really, just sticking to sticking to your knitting. I mean, it was um, sticking to what you know. So, what do you what do you guys think about the landscape uh, of the energy business going forward? Where where you know, what, I was going to. What are your thoughts? Let me just say one thing first, though. It was interesting what. <laughs> Greg had brought up and what talking about investing. So when we went to raise our first institutional fund in 2014, everybody's like, okay, look, you've got to stick to one thing. Like you've got to only do midstream. I'm like, I don't want to just, you know, we need, so we kind of set our box. So we had a box, so two thirds midstream and the other third kind of other. And, and I was really pleased to get that. And that's what it has allowed us really to, be able to invest across the energy value chain. When we went out, we had already done our first landfill gas to energy deal in, in 2009. And I will credit having been in the natural foods industry to be exposed to, uh, you know, non-energy people. And, and I think I was sensitized earlier to the importance of renewable, ex et cetera. In 2014, investors are saying, you're not going to do solar or wind. Don't do that. We hate that. Do not invest in those. Because they had all invested in that in the mid-2000s, and they'd lost lots and lots of money on all the renewables. So now fast forward, no one wants to be in, you know, upstream, traditional, and it's all going into renewables and sustainable. So you just continue to see these cycles and... Now, we're structurally changing over time. Sure. But yeah, but the core conviction around our underwrite doesn't change, right? So that's the nice thing about what we do is we could be looking at, and believe me, when I was looking under the hood for the first time, is I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to, I think I'd like to join EIB. They're going to ask me to put up some money. And I'm sitting there looking at their portfolio, and I see this uh, dairy digester project in front three. And I'm like, call David Feynman. I'm like, look, David, I mean, what the hell, man? Is this thing going to make money? <laughs> There's money in California. How does this work? Yeah. 
because uh, it, was, it was completely foreign to me, right? And it and it sounds great to talk about that kind of stuff today, but you know, five years ago, yeah. I was like, man, this is I don't want to own a leper colony. Uh, what are we doing here? So, but lo and behold, we exited that last year, and and the the amazing thing that I that I observed from that process was, you know, the untold story in a lot of private equity outcomes is you'll have a, you'll run an auction process, you'll get your bids in, and you've got an outlier at the top that you're praying will close, and the, the second and third place bids are distant you know, a distance away. But on this one, man, there was so much capital flowing into that space that we had three very large strategic bidders right on top of each other. So you could see, man, this is, this is, they were right to get out ahead of this. And today, now that's all people want to talk about. So, yeah. so the, 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 the converse of that is true, right? So you can't, you can't go stick your finger in the air and move, move with the herd. You've got to, you have a core conviction around what you want to do. You set your underwriting to be disciplined and you don't stray off of that. And Right now, we see tremendous opportunity in traditional oil and gas. Um, the painful thing is that Corona has really led us to my prediction, and I'm, I'm going to say my because I don't know if Patty shares this view. But I mean, look, until November, probably nothing's going to happen. Uh, and then you roll through the holidays; you're kind of into February before people really set their budgets and kind of have any visibility around 2021. So if you're trying to transact, unless it's in the renewables ESG transition space, there's not a lot of capital or deals moving right now. I'm I'm on the the side that people are going to want to go back to the office. People are going to want to travel again. I keep yep. hearing that Zoom yes. is the thing. I, I don't believe it. it. No, they're not. No, no. I agree with you, and and I can't. Tell I hate you. Zoom. How many people I've spoken to now that weather's getting nice in Houston and hunting season is here, and we've got this place in Liberty we go to. Uh, man, I got a list that's really long of people who've been cooped up for six months or just dying to get out. And right. Anything. So I would share that view. Well, uh, the, we were talking to a guy last week, and it's you know our friend John Daniel. You guys know John, and John is one of the most active guys in our space on visiting people. Right. And you know, let you could say John or John Smith or John Doe, whoever that is, whoever is going to go visit the client and build the relationship is the one that's going to build the, is that's going to get the business. So if I'm Steve Smith doing zoom meetings, then John Smith is going to get the business if he's going to that. So at some point I have to go visit and travel again. So you, we're going to see that turn back on. And travel is a big part of this. It's it has to. It's going to be a big driver for the for gas. You know, we're in, we've talked to the United United Airlines about this podcast actually, and you know they're just like, when when do you think business travel is going to turn back on? <laughs> we got to move some products. They do. I'll tell you what they uh, they did a really good thing because I can't tell you I probably have spent thirty thousand dollars on change fees and they've eliminated the change fees. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I'm very excited. About you should ask that. for a refund on that, huh? Go get your refund. We'll let a baby come on and be a sponsor on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, cool that. yeah. yeah, although I will say that Zoom has, there are a lot of people who can do a Zoom meeting instead of flying in from New York. That's true. Yeah. So I, I I, wouldn't, I do, I agree. People want to see people. Mm -hmm. um, it's better than a phone call. You're absolutely right. Yeah. It's, it's made. And, and no one's going to, you know, LPs are not going to make new investments if they it's difficult for LPs to make new investments if they haven't actually met in person before. They're trying to figure it out. But yeah, but instead of, you know, three three trips that travel, it's maybe it's two that travel and one that they can do by Zoom. So Well, and I'm probably the oldest 39-year-old in the world in terms of technology and things like that. I, I still believe in picking up the phone and calling people or writing a letter, you know. Um, and, and it did force me to adopt technology that I otherwise would have never right. used. I actually listened to my first ever podcast. Was it ours? It was not yours, but yours was number two. And then I've never turned it off since then. All right. There we you go. Know, yeah. uh, like to hear. What was your, no, who'd you listen to? Uh, 
it was a it was an NPR study about the impact of social media. Uh, okay. Ironically, so <laughs> you know, D- David. And Greg I, is very anti-social media. I'm very anti-social media. Well, there's negatives to social media. I just I, I see what it's doing to people, and, and just sort of the, the the disconnection of of human interaction is is there is a, a show. Well, there's again, it's a pro and a con, right? It and is. There's a thing on Netflix now. I'm going to forget the title of it, but do you know which one? I'm, I've heard of it. I haven't it's, seen it. My wife watched. I caught the tail twenty minutes of it, and she said, uh, "You should watch this entire thing." Oh, it's yeah. It's it's pretty terrifying, really. The algorithms that are they're attaching to our yeah. brains, and I and I look. I know that there's some you know dopamine things that they've attached to this phone uh, that we're all addicted to. Oh, and I'm I'm hooked to my phone, right? Don't yeah. get me wrong. So the last thing I need is a Facebook account and Twitter, whatever the hell. <laughs> yeah, you know, we're not going to allow uh, you to get any well, of that stuff. And I, and, I, and I'm known I'm known well enough among my network that people know if there's something really cool out there, they'll text it to me. Yeah, you know. So I, I feel like I keep up. Just as much as I need to, but uh, but to your point about in person, you know, meetings and things like that, I think it's going to come back, and and it, it it is a differentiator if you're trying to transact. It just is now. Maybe for investors, they can adopt more of a remote strategy and can save some money because you know they know us and whatever. It's it's a little bit easier to manage, but business deals need human interaction. Yeah, people need you, and I mean, people it just they need true. it. Yes, very true. So so talk to us a little bit about y'all 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 been in the fundraising. The world is somewhat changing. The need for energy has not left us. How it gets to us is is questionable. But you know, we we formed the Energy SG Council. Greg is is uh is agreed to come on on the board, and uh, Justine I think is going to join us on on uh, committee, and you know she's going to do all everything and kick George. We're going to kick Greg off the uh, off the deal. But how has that impacted your conversations with? with investors and and do they really understand what they're asking for and, and kind of uh do you feel like there's 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 that opportunity to drive the narrative for the industry as we're we're trying to do with the energy SG council i think that's an important thing that we need to do so i mean we've been trying to understand esg for a number of years and it it's getting better defined as as we go forward but you know, I think we need to get better at communicating what we do. In the energy industry, you know, it is a dangerous industry, right? And so safety has always been important. Environment, try not to have spills. Just right. uh, protection of the environment is important. And I don't think people outside of the industry maybe appreciate how much attention is given to that. Um, the social, the governance, you know, this is an industry that you can come in and work hard with or without degrees and do very well for yourself. So I think we need to do a better job of explaining what we do. I think in terms of climate change, doing a better job of measuring impacts. First, you've got to measure, and then you right. can do something about it. So, uh, But it's been confusing for us of, okay, which which formulas do you use to report what you're doing? What do you need to report? So I think we're all figuring that out. So I think if we can get some consistency about how we measure things and what we report, I think that would help everybody. <clears throat> From an opportunity perspective, I'll tell you that there's a lot of capital forming in that space. There's a lot of people running in headlong who really, you know, this it's, it's an emerging world, right? And I think that's that's an area where we're going to be pretty careful. When you see money flooding in like that, that's a great opportunity to destroy capital. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we're fortunate that we've we've done a number of renewables deals. We're, we're we're probably more in tune with that world than most traditional hydrocarbon PE investors. Yet we still have a tremendous learning curve. So we don't we don't pretend that now's the time to just go stack a bunch of chips on the table just because that's where kind of the prevailing winds have shifted. So uh, again, it goes it goes back to a core discipline and 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 you know, but being willing to adapt. Right. One of my favorite quotes, and I think it was Saudi oil minister or somebody over there said. The stone age did not end for lack of stone. So, and if you can't adapt, you die. I mean, those are two basic facts, right? Yeah. That, will, that will always be true. And so the, uh, I think the thing for us is making sure we're, we're taking our time. We're looking at it, studying it, trying to get smart. And really it's, it, it, it comes down to people again, right? So you got to find the teams who can really understand it, operate it, that you could trust. Cause there's going to be, and I think the risk factor today with the amount of capital that's moving into that world is, is it's pronounced, right? So you have to be very That's kind of intentional point. about what you do. My prediction is there's going to be a tremendous amount of capital destruction with those folks that are going there. Cause it's, I think it's my fear. Whether, whether yeah. you think about dot com or the shield boom, I think it's going to be the ESG, you know, and, and what the reason I say that is, is because it's, it's a flash in the pan, emotional driven concept as opposed to truly focusing on, the discipline, the good governance that ultimately drives, I think, social accountability and responsibility, environmental stewardship. You've got to have the governance there to make all that stuff happen. And, you know, not all companies are created equal. And, you know, this is a, unfortunately, we live in a world where I think there's a fair amount of financial engineering that's allowed some things to happen that probably shouldn't. And uh, I think a lot of, a lot of these investors in a way you need to look back at themselves. And I think which is what's driving this, the ESG concept, which I really like to think of GSE or anything else yeah. is that they got to pay attention to more things than just financial results, but how you get there and, and really thinking about the, you know, two things. One, uh, you can t- truly die by a thousand cuts and, uh, if you don't focus on the enterprise risks in a business and what drives things uh, can really get you in a bad spot. But the sum of those parts, if they're paid attention to and focused on actively, and there's a, there's a system of continuous improvement in place, to your point earlier, Patty, about building a sustainable platform, there, that's the business that I want to invest in, mm-hmm. and no matter what sector it is. But it's going to be interesting to see how that, that all plays out. But I think... To your point, Greg and Patty earlier, having some conviction and discipline and staying focused there, I think, you know, the turtle always wins the race. <laughs> it's hard though when when you're when you're seeing people, you know, put a lot of money to work and it's fun to do deals and oh yeah, you know, it, that's why it's great to have Patty because you know, uh, David and I have the worst possible set of characteristic personality characteristics, which is we're we're optimistic and impatient, and so uh, the past six or seven months have been tough with nothing really happening. Uh, well, you've got Jenny yeah. there too, who's well, also really. She's the I one mean, who tells us if stuff's going to work or not. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, which is which is good. She's yeah. a, she's a tough critic. It's That's a great, what you need to have. It's a great kind of combination yeah. of of I think personalities in that room. So uh, it's good, and it's good to have somebody who's seen the arc of this industry like Patty has, because you know. I was five years old when she started, right? So okay, um, <laughs> uh, you can slap him, Patty. Yeah, I can take it. Um, but no, that's but that's really meaningful for somebody like me. Who's you know I've been in this long enough to know it's gonna you know you got to be prepared to ride cycles. But you know um, I think her ability to kind of move 
in and out of the space and see opportunity over the course of, of her career is, is you can't replace the reps. So for me, that's that's been a huge resource to draw from from. And the same is 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 true with Jenny and, and her having operated business before. She knows what it takes. Uh, Patty Jonathan can make anybody sound really, really good, and he can make anybody sound really, really bad. So we'll <laughs> oh. we'll punish him for that. Don't that's worry fine. about it. We can tell. We'll, we can, we'll we can, we can tell some stories. That's fine. That's I don't okay. Mind. That's okay. Yeah. I don't mind. At we all. can get some coronavirus confessions going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. No, it is. Uh, this conversation has just been incredible, and I, I don't know how I forgot to set the timer, so I don't know how long we've been going here. But uh, it doesn't matter. It's a good conversation. It's amazing. It's just an, and really, you know, one of the things we talked about early on was just the audience wanting to listen and, and get into something. And I, I still, I had a hard time getting past the joy school. I, I really did. I mean, the passion there, I had a, uh, uh, I worked for my family's business uh, right out of school and my dad, I don't know if you guys have watched this show succession on HBO. You've seen <laughs> Good it. One. Oh yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. It just won all the, have you seen it? Uh, no, I, it I just won all of the uh, awards, the Emmys for you know best yeah. drama or whatever. The, the, the gist of it is, it's about this overbearing father who's really smart, billionaire, and just kind of commands his kids to do whatever. And uh, I watched it. My dad is neither a billionaire nor overly, <laughs> bear, you know, too overbearing. But it, it was, there's some traits. I will say that, right? There's some traits in the show that I look at. And I, when I left the business, I went to work for a lady named Kathy Rutledge, who was mm -hmm. a, kind of a three-legged stool, partner of a three-legged stool uh, company in, at, uh, that she and two other guys owned. But she was my direct boss. And I'd never worked for a female before. I never, I'd never had any females except my mom in the business, right? So I didn't understand this lady who was now my boss, her, the way she operated. And as I was listening to really Greg describe some of the traits that you've brought to the company and the way you talk, I was immediately reminded of Kathy. And I, as, I'm, as I hear that, I'm listening, I'm hoping people have the chance to get to work for a woman under uh, directly underneath a woman one day, because there are things that are different and the way they view people and the way they view situations that are different than the way a man does. And uh, I, I hear them and I, I love that the fact that it just feels like it's permeated throughout your organization. And I don't know your organization. I mean, David obviously does. So I just wanted to tell you how much I've appreciated kind of hearing that side of the story come out through, you know, both said and unsaid. So I've enjoyed I've enjoyed that part of it. Well, thank you. So one of the things we always like to ask our guests on a show is if there's any advice that you would have loved to have given to yourself 10, 20, 30 years ago. When Greg was five. When Greg, yeah, when Greg was five. <laughs> yeah. You know, it kind of goes through that stress question, right? Right. And learning how to deal with that earlier when you're in very stressful jobs. And I think that's part of, you know, having Bill and, and our finding resources for our team, particularly in private equity, what an associate does is different than a vice president, a director, and a partner. Very different skill sets and, you know, high expectations for quality of work, uh, hopefully more flexibility on your time than in an investment bank. But when you've got to work, you've got to work. So recognizing that different people have different skills and different, they're better at some things than others. And so, and this goes back to the joy school, right? The kids have gaps or they're, they're better at some things than others. So, you know, you can fill in those gaps. You can, you know, um, help someone develop 
those skills they need for the next uh, responsibility. Um, and that changes at each level in an organization. So I wish that I had maybe gotten some advice earlier on how to manage that stress uh, better. Uh, I've learned it over time, but. Well, what, what am I hearing though? You're saying that you, the way that you would have managed it is. By Actually talking to somebody. Right. Okay. You know, because, you know, I was the only woman, first of all. So you're already, you know. Siloed you can't, in some ways. Well, you're, you're afraid to show that you don't know something or whatever. If you're the only woman and you feel like you're, you know, in the 80s, you're, you know, if you screw up, you've screwed up for every woman, not just, not just because you're a person, but, you know, for the whole female race or gender or whatever it is. Um, so, you know, when what I didn't have a best buddy that I felt like I could talk, you know, and my other friends were not in investment banking. So I think making it, it's like, making it okay to talk about things that are difficult. That's what we do in our, with our partner group. We want, you know, everyone within the organization to be able to say, Hey, I'm having trouble or this is hard or I need some help. So, um, or some advice. We're and, very, we're very woke. Yeah. That's a term. Well, did, did, so did that come from it? Did that come from the joy experience? Joyce, or was that an Ellie yeah. Simmons? Like, where did you I know. I think that was once I got older and got, yeah, just, um, experience. just experience. I mean, it was, it was really, I mean, I didn't take, I did not go, I stopped going to the playground with Katie because what could I say to the other parents, other mothers, their kids doing this and that and this and that. And it's like, you know, it was very uncomfortable. Right. And then once I started at, you know, it got to the point once starting the joy school, I'm, on a trip, on a plane, just chatting with the person next to them. Turns out every single person I've almost ever talked to, they've got a child, a niece, a friend with a child that's had struggled in school. And it's, and it's like, oh, okay. There's a lot of things that we don't talk about that a lot of people have had the same experience. And by talking about it, it gets rid of it. And that goes to our, our portfolio companies. Yeah. If you create an environment where the management team can talk to you, the CEO feels comfortable telling you this is not working or I'm struggling with this. You want that to happen before it becomes an issue. And, you know, you don't even have to solve it. It's just being able to say, this is what's going on. That helps you have better investment results because stuff doesn't get hidden until you can't solve it or, or it costs you a lot of money. Well, and talking about your vulnerabilities is not something people generally want to do. Right. So uh, almost having that environment where it's, it's expected of you, right, to just be yeah. honest. And, and uh, you know, and Jenny, our partner, is real big on putting up signs in the office about, you know, inspirational sayings or aspirational things. And one of her signs is that, hey, look, everybody's facing some challenge, whether you know about it or not. So always be kind, yeah. you know, and, and give them a, a, a sounding board when they need it. So there's, I mean, look, what we do is is not easy and there's going to be challenges. And even though we think we're doing a good job, not everything goes as planned. So you got to be, you know, you got to be able to talk it through for it, sure. And, and that, I do think that's just more of a, okay, generalize, but I think that is more of a female characteristic. Typically. I, I don't know what the guys do when you're out hunting and, you know, having a beer, you probably open up. Well, you got to come with us. I, well, I, I kiss I David DeRoe straight on the lips. Oh, you know? God. We're that close. <laughs> It's, you know, and he it's loves really it. that strange. He loves but it. But one of these days, I'm going to get the courage up, and I'm going to give him something back. <laughs> there you go. You know, uh, it, it is, this is, you know, our, our, my grandfather, we all, have, was the best man in my wedding. Love, love my granddad, right? But, like, 
he didn't, I'll, I'll never get my dad telling me, he's like, my, my dad never said I loved you. That's what my dad's. Oh, we're wow. not doing this again. No, no, well, we're getting to the point. <laughs> I mean, he did this with the parents. Not, we can always edit no, no, it out. But I'm just yeah. saying, the, grand, you know, the grandparents come back from World War II, they There's didn't no, get to come back yeah. to any kind of openness like that, right? right. There was no, there wasn't this type of conversation yeah. happening for the guys coming back in 1940 and 1560. So it is kind of nice where you just admitted you guys have kissed. What are you mad at me for? Let's I give mean, me a break yeah. here. Come on. Hey, listen, this is 2020. <laughs> yeah. So all I'm saying is that it, it is nice that there's it, hopefully that, that conversations like this can open up vulnerability and as to Greg's point and conversations. And if you have not, I do encourage anybody listening. And if you have not listened to the uh, Ann Fox podcast, have you listened to that? Had a chance to listen to ours? Mm -hmm. she's amazing she is amazing but there's also about a three minute segment in there that she just bowled david and i over with her honesty and openness about what she was dealing with coming back to work and i mean it just it literally knocked us both over and she started cracking up at how kind of stunned we both were so if you have not heard that episode i encourage you to go back and listen to it so yeah um, well, I've got to work my piece of advice in because if my, please. my six and a half year old daughter, Kate Davis, will be listening to this at some point. I, I hope she will hear these words, if nothing else. Look, rarely is the first answer the best answer. I've learned that. And, you know, it's also the most important thing I've ever learned is it's OK to say, I don't know. And not try to force an answer when you don't know. Fair enough. Uh, yeah. That's 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 key. And, and you know, yes. surround yourself with good people. You know, they make all the difference in the world. They really do. I mean, David. You you killed it. You've been telling me this was going to be like this for a while, but well done. Hey, man. I'm your partner. I produce. You produce. <laughs> so actually, I got a text from, I was supposed to be in Midland today. And uh, David sends me a text last week and he says, Patty's available next Friday. Please be available. Please, <laughs> please, please be available. That's all it said. And I'm like, done. So this was, this was a great one. And I, I commend you. This is, this was as good as you said it was going to be. Well done. Hey, like I said. Yeah. You have a little faith. Jonathan, yeah. what'd you think back there, buddy? Yeah, two thumbs up from I mean, our millennial. I think Josh might have changed up his shoelaces today. I got too, socks. He's got this is very nice. I like it. Yeah. This is, yeah. I, I'm, I've got some of my COVID weight back off. I can put this coat back on. So we're getting there. Yeah. Looking I'm wearing good. my, my COVID, uh, Joseph A. Bank uh, size up <laughs> slacks because I, I went to my first ever business meeting a month ago and I, I tried to put on my old pants. You know, uh, I mean, lay down on the bed, tried to do the whole deal and just, you know, it wasn't happening. So no. and I had like, you know, maybe three minutes to spare. So I think the COVID-19 man jokes are hilarious. They're true. Uh, it's killing me. Yeah. yeah. So I, elastic is a wonderful material, the, but not good for your your the, your overall shape. The best one I've heard thus far is more of a statement than anything else. He goes, you think this is bad? Just wait. When we wake up 20 years from now, the country's going to be led by children that were homeschooled by a bunch of day drinkers. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. <laughs> well, uh, I'm going to wrap us up. Are you ready? You guys yeah, have any yeah. other last words of wisdom? No. We good? All no, right. I just I want to thank you both for being here. It means a lot to me. I have high admiration for both of you. I think y'all know that. And uh, we appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. So before I go, let me just one more time. Thejoyschool.org. And then eivcapital.com. Mm -hmm. Okay. Is there any other website that we need to promote for you guys? There's something special. How about the, uh, how about the, how about the center for hearing and speech? So, so another good thing that I'm kind of talking about talent, I have to have to take credit for. So I, I recruited Greg to the board for the center for hearing and speech. Okay. And we started our shoot, which is coming up. The Los Juegos de Palomas, the Dove Games. Yes. 
and uh, and, and Greg, Greg took that, and uh, as chairman the second year, crushed it. And everybody on the board was so impressed. I think Clay Williams was still on the board with me at the time, and we were laughing. And 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 my I had about maybe a a year year before I rolled off. I rolled off, and you know I get get great phone calls from people. Oh, Greg Davis is fantastic. Da da da. Greg's talking to me. He goes, "Yeah, Darod, thanks a lot. Uh, you know, you roll off the board, and uh, <laughs> I'm, you know, we crush it on on your shoot, but." I got a capital campaign. I yeah, got to do this. The capital do campaign. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, thank you, Greg. And so, let's talk. Let's get. It's no longer the Center for Hearing Speech. Right. The board it's, recently it's, changed the name. Yes, sir. It's the Texas Hearing Institute now. Yeah. Uh, and Alan Smith is the chair. And I'll tell you, that's been one of the, the funnest organizations to be involved with. Uh, just finished a call it a roughly twenty three million dollar capital campaign to build a new facility in the medical center and completed a partnership with Texas Children's, Texas which is going to be very great for our audiology and speech therapy and all the all the all the families we serve uh, as an added resource there. So, yeah, big things ahead of us there. A lot of work left to do. Just as a reminder, thank you again. I got another two well, or three you, years left there. So uh, I've really, really enjoyed that. It's a great organization. And I can, I can we're on the subject. Uh, I think uh, Sky High is doing a, a thing this evening, which terrible. I d- didn't realize that, but I couldn't go anyways. I'm conflicted. Chinkapin mm-hmm. uh, School's got a shoot coming up. Yeah. What else is going on here? Well, by the time it posts, this will this will be two weeks from now. But well, you know, still like Sky oh, High. Yeah. Great I think the people. Point They're doing an awesome job. Is that it is so important to get involved. Houston is the best city. Houston is fabulous, and I think um, no matter what age you are, if you are first year out of school, yep. you still need to get involved. And if you're retired, well, it's, it's that's the best time to do it. Yeah. I moved, I'm a Dallas guy. I moved from Dallas down to Houston and I didn't know anybody. I didn't know one person yeah. in Houston and it, I, I'd never seen a city volunteer the way Houston does. It's an unbelievable way to get involved and serve the whole city yeah. does. It. It's incredible. And it's so rewarding. Yes, exactly. And just and, everybody's and you, doing it yeah. and it's fun to give back and get involved. And there's any charity that you, your pat children, education, you know, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So. And the oil field is the center of all this, yeah. and, you know, what energy business, whatever you want to call it. And it's like, that's the part that, you know, big oil gets lumped into, which whatever. I mean, that's a, that's a terrible term anyway, because it's not it's just something that, you know, it's pain tries to paint us in a bad light. That the reality is, is those are just people doing great things across the world all the time that we get no credit for. They're so. they're I'll boil it down to this. They're problem solvers and they're people of action. So they don't sit there and watch a problem and ask somebody else to solve it for them. Right. So before we let you go, how is your daughter doing now? Oh, she's great. Is she? She's great. Yes. And um, she goes to a, a special boarding school in, in Kentucky. But, um, you know, she reminds us of why, you know, what are the good things in life? She's happy. She is in the right. moment and she brings joy to people. Right. So. Well, that's that's that a wonderful story. story. So. All right. Well, I'm going to wrap us up. This has been an awesome. Thank you for your time. Both of you, David. Wonderful job today. Jonathan, thank you for for setting us all up. Uh, once again, the Oilfield 360 podcast with one of our charter sponsors, EIB Capital, Greg Davis, Patty Melcher. Uh, we are available on your favorite podcast platform. You can look us up on our LinkedIn, all the social media channels that Dave, ha- or excuse me, that Greg hates. Uh, I love uh, any hate mail sent to David at Oilfield360.com. Anything that sounds great sends to Josh at Oilfield360.com. The Fletcher Azul Tequila Studio is the place to be. We thank Aaron Marquez for his participation. David, Aaron, we need more tequila. We, we're out of tequila, Aaron. <laughs> Completely. 
David, it's his fault. Yeah. Yeah. Ish. Thank you guys. Thank you everybody for listening. Oh, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. This episode of the Oil Field 360 podcast was brought to you by the following companies. EIV Capital, a growth equity focused private equity firm, which has been providing capital to the North American energy industry since 2009. The team has extensive experience across the entire energy value chain. We invite you to visit EIVCapital.com and learn how we partner with entrepreneurs to build businesses. Merit Advisors, crafting holistic tax solutions to improve your cash flow and add profit back to your bottom line. When it comes to state and local taxes, Merit is the expert in the oil and gas industry. Visit MeritAdvisor.com. World Oil. For more than 103 years, World Oil has provided global decision makers with coverage of the latest market intelligence and technological advances relating to the upstream oil and gas industry. To subscribe and learn more about these essential resources, please visit worldoil.com slash subscribe. Thank you to our sponsors, Simmons Energy, a division of Piper Sandler, SimmonsPSC.com, Lockton Global Energy and Marine, Lockton.com, Tomahawk Safety, TomahawkSafety.com, Prang & Associates, Prang.com, Daniel Energy Partners, DanielEP.com, EIV Capital, EIVCapital.com, Galtway Marketing, GaltwayMarketing.com, Range Valuation Services, RangeValuationServices.com, Merit Advisors, MeritAdvisor.com, World Oil, WorldOil.com, Fletcher Azul Tequila, FletcherAzulTequila.com. For more information on today's guest and to learn more about our sponsors, please follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, or at oilfield360.com. Piper Sandler Companies, NYSE PIPR, is a leading investment bank and institutional securities firm driven to help clients realize the power of partnership. Securities brokerage and investment banking services are offered in the U.S. through Piper Sandler & Company, member SIPC and FINRA, in Europe through Piper Sandler Limited, authorized and regulated by the Securities and Futures Commission. Asset management products and services are offered through four separate investment advisory affiliates, U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, SEC-registered Piper Sandler Investment Management, LLC, PJC Capital Partners, LLC, and Piper Sandler and & Company, and Guernsey-based Parallel General Partners Limited, authorized and regulated by the Guernsey Financial Services Commission. Simmons Energy, a division of Piper Sandler, are the energy specialists of Piper Sandler.